Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Let me say welcome to all of you joining us online. This is the last week of our Rooted series. We're coming to the end where we've said in this series we understand that all living things grow and that the more we're connected to Jesus, that we believe the more we're going to grow in Him. And so we've been looking at different texts throughout this series that talks about really having these roots deep down into Christ and His Word. And uh, we hope that you've been encouraged, uh, maybe even more equipped throughout this series. And we'll wrap it up today in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible and you'd like to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, we're really excited about next week, uh, really excited about the series we're starting next week. I don't want to give a lot away uh, this morning, um, but I would just say be here. If you're able to be here in person, be here. If you're not able to be here in person, make sure you're uh, joining us online next week as we kick off a, a little sh- series that's going to share about where God's taking us as a church. And so um, please join us. We'd love to have you here. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, again, finishing up Rooted, um, as we wrap up this series, here's kind of our takeaway this morning. Let us root ourselves in the humbling and freeing principle that it is God that brings the growth, we are just simply his hands and feet. God brings the growth in us, God brings the growth around us and through us, we are to be his hands and feet. So a little summary of what's happening here in the letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth to kind of bring us up all to speed here as we look at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 in chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 5, but verses 1 and 2, Paul presents a problem. Here's a problem with the church in Corinth, the Christian church there in Corinth. Here's the problem. The problem is is that you're not maturing in your faith. The problem is is that you're not growing in your faith. And we are, as we're called into our faith and, and, and brought into our faith in relationship with Christ... Part of our role as God works in us is to be in, in functioning with him and working with him in that growth. And Paul's like, you're not growing, you're not maturing. Christians are to be maturing in their faith. More and more of, of God and less and less of us, right? And so Paul's presenting this problem to the church in Corinth. You're not maturing in your faith. And then in verses 3 and 4, he presents the cause of their lack of growth. Here's why you're not maturing. Here's why there's not a, a mature uh, leadership. There's, here's not why there's not mature uh, faith in your household, in your neighborhood. Here's why there's not mature faith. It's because of jealousy. It's because of pride. And through jealousy and pride, we get strife. This is what the, is the cause. And so as we pick up Paul's letter here in verse 5, we'll see that Paul has placed his finger on really what is a core principle at the heart of Christian growth in the Christian life. And that's this. He's teaching us that we must learn to live with the reality that we are no longer our own. As a Christian, we are no longer our own. We have a Savior. We have a Lord that is not us. Praise God. I make a terrible Savior. I make a terrible Lord. That's my family. We have a Savior and Lord that is not us. And we are not our own. We've been bought at a high price, right? And we belong to Jesus. We're in union with him through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, right? So for the Christian, hear this. 
We are His. You are His. If you are a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are His. You are not your own. He has loved us. He has bled and died for us. He has taken our sins and our guilt and our shame, and He's taken it to the cross, and He's reconciled us to the Father through the cross, through the resurrection. We've been adopted into the family of God and into the household of faith. So we are, we are not our own. We are His and therefore, we are to live for Him. That is a core Christian principle and truth for us. I mean, that's what attracted us, right? It attracted us because we recognized there was a, a moment of clarity and perspective where we go, I'm a mess, I'm a wreck, and I, 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 need, I need someone to save me that, because I can't save myself. That's what attracted us. So in that saving grace that God's brought to us through Jesus, we are now recognizing we're not our own, we're His. And there is no better place to be, church, than to be His. Yet, if we continue to let ourselves sit on that throne of our own hearts and lives, no wonder we make no progress, right? That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. He says, no wonder your Christian life is so stunted and immature. No wonder your, your faith is failing to thrive, right? And out of that, it produces division, a divisive spirit that's driven by jealousy and pride, played out then in fighting and friction, tension. He says, all that means you're acting like babies, which is what he says in the first four verses there in chapter 3. He said, you guys are acting like babies. We use that all the time. Quit acting like a baby. That's what Paul was saying to the Christians there at the church in Corinth. He's like, you should have grown up by now. There should have been some maturing in your life. So he's addressing this. He's addressing it as it produces division within the church. And so we come to our text, starting in verse 5. And Paul's going to present, he showed us the problem, he showed us the cause, now he's going to present a treatment plan, a treatment plan so that we may grow up in our faith, which as that growth occurs in us, what does it do? It moves out of us to those around us. So let's pick it up in verse 5, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Verse 6, I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul switched the metaphor on us. In the first four verses, he had the metaphor of familial, family. Now he moves into agriculture, farming, right? Fields metaphor. And we see this as he does this, verse, and starting in verse 5 here. I like how one commentator puts it. He says uh, that Paul here depersonalizes and depedestalizes himself and Apollos. Look back at verse 5. He depersonalizes them. He doesn't say, who then is Apollos? Who then is Paul? Did you notice what he says? He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul. He depersonalizes them. Now, you've got to understand the church in Corinth have kind of set both of these guys up, you know, as, as more or less their Messiah. And Paul's trying to come against that, right? So he depersonalizes it, right? And then he depedestalizes them. He topples them from the pedestal in which the Corinthians have begun to place them. I invited Pastor Tyler to stand up here on a pedestal this morning so that I could knock it out from under him. <laughs> to illustrate that, he declined. 
What does Paul say? They're only servants. Look at what he says. What did Apollos? What is Paul? Look at the next word. Servants. We're agricultural laborers. We're farmhands. That's all they are. He, he depedestalizes and he depersonalizes this. And there's a, there's a reason to that. And understand, this is the heart of myself and Pastor Tyler, Pastor Mark, our, our leadership. This is the heart. That we're just servants. We're just simply servants. I've said this multiple times to our church family over the years. I'm simply a servant. I am, I'm no more than you are as a disciple of Christ. God's just placed me in this time and space to be here to do this. But in all the things that God has for us, we are one together as servants in the field, which is what Paul's coming to. Another commentator put it like this. He says, readjust the way you think about your favorite teacher or preacher, if you will. What are they? As Paul says, which by the way, Paul was a pretty good preacher and teacher. Servants. The word here is table waiters. He says in the analogy, they're not honored guests. They're not the head of the table. They're not the owner of the house. They're not the makers of the food. They're table waiters. It's almost you could, you could think of it like, hello, my name is Paul, and I'll be your server tonight. Would you like to get started with something to drink? So adjust your thinking is what the commentator says. He says, be careful not to put Paul and Apollos in the wrong place, which is what Paul was doing with the church in Corinth, because as they did that, it created division. So he's trying to show them that, hey, it's not, it's not me or him. It's about God. God does the growth. We get privileged to be a part of planting and watering. Verse 5b, and he presses at this point, servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each, right? Since they're only servants, he's saying they're not the ones to whom you owe your salvation, you don't pin your salvation onto a, a communicator, a teacher, a, a pastor, a preacher. You're dependent on Jesus. He says, we're servants, so don't, don't owe, you don't owe your salvation to us. They didn't convert you or change you or, or, to your, or bring you to your faith in Jesus. Jesus did that work, right? They were merely instruments in the hands of another, which is, again, Paul, Paul pushing in to the work that God does in us so he might do it through us. And then you and I have nothing to boast about but Jesus, that it wasn't me, it was him. It is the Lord who assigned to each, and it is, it's who made us of, uh, use of Apollos and Paul in, in the lives of different people in different ways to do what? To show them Jesus, to, to bring them to Jesus. One beggar showing another beggar where he found food. That's how we describe ourselves as Christians, right? That, that we got to be a part of that, bring them to Jesus, grow them up by sharing the Word of God. We all get to be a part of that as we're in groups or we're sharing God's Word together. And so that is where our attention needs to rest, not on Paul or Apollos or, or anyone else, but on God who does the work, on Jesus. Not on the servants, but on the Lord. Look what he says. He says, servants through whom? That means that the power, the power that brought us to faith did not and does not reside in any of us. And Paul's like, it didn't reside in me or Apollos. It flows through us, which again is a great privilege, church. May we never forget that. That God would entrust to us as he's called us to be his own in his own family and adopted us in through our belief and repentance. That now he wants to use us to share that same good grace with others. That is a great privilege. May we never forget that. It flows through us. Look at verse 6 and 7 again. 
He says, I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the growth. He's saying, it's not, it's not Paul or Apollo's again that you should be focused on. Neither cause your Christian life to begin. God used them to plant a seed. God used them to water a seed. They shared, they preached, they taught, they pastored, they shepherded. Yes, all those things because we're called to be a part of all those roles as a part of the church. Which, by the way, is an important principle that I had to learn early on in the call that God placed on my life in being a leader in a local church. Is that how many times have, did I let the weight of trying to save somebody overwhelm and crush me? That's why I said at the beginning, the freeing, the, the, the takeaway is the humility and the freedom that the principle of God gives the growth. We're just the hands and feet. That, that set me free in a way that's hard to even describe. Which I'm sure it was for Apollos and Paul. That they just were faithful in what God asked them to do. And then they turned the rest over to God. That that's his work. How many times do we need to hear that in our own family? Where we've tried to be the Messiah to a, to a spouse or to a, to a, a sibling or, or to someone, you know, a grandparent or a cousin how, how many times? And, and it didn't work because we make terrible saviors that we can be freed from doing that. We just be faithful and caring for and, and ministering to and sharing and loving and full of grace, right? God does the work. Where does the growth and the life come from? Where do we look for grace when we're not maturing? That's the other part. You know, Paul's talking to them, you need to be maturing in your faith what happens when we fail to do that? Where, where do we look for grace? Where do we look for that growth? Look what he says again in verse 6. God gave the growth. Notice that's in the past. But look at verse 7. God still gives growth. That's in the present. So God's doing the work. He's giving the growth. He gave it in the past. He's giving it in the future. So don't look to others for the grace that only God can give. We keep our eyes on Jesus. And then don't miss what happens in verses 8 and 9. Very special. It's big for us. Look at what he says. He who plants and he who waters are what? One. We're one. We're together. We're on the same team. We're working together in God's field as his fellow laborers. But he is the one who gives the growth. One plants, one waters. It's like, like we're all out on the same field together, on the same, team, on the same team to share the gospel, good news to others. That's why we celebrate the churches that are celebrating Jesus, that are preaching Jesus and the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We want to celebrate because we're on the same team here. We're all laborers in the field, and we're not to be pointing people to us, but pointing people to Jesus. That's been the heartbeat of, of my my time here and trying to lead is that we're always, and hopefully it will be for this church, and it has been in the past, but for the future, that this church is about Jesus Christ and no, nobody else. It's always to be about Jesus. We all have roles to play. We're all on the same team, but there are different roles on the team, just like Paul would use the, the illustration, analogy of we're all part of the family, we're all part of the body, which means we're all different parts of the body and we've all been gifted and, and given things to help the body grow and move forward and outward in procl proclamation of the gospel. 
but we're all on the same team. We're all one body. We're unified in that. That's what he says. Don't miss this. We're one. They're one. We are God's fellow workers in God's field, God's building. One in purpose to make much of Jesus. One in dependence from the spring of life. Where does that flow from? Jesus. One in love, like Paul and Apollos were for the people of Corinth. Like we are to be together for, for one another as we love Christ. One in message. What is that message? To preach Christ crucified. And when you're one like that, it doesn't bring division. It brings oneness. Isn't that to be true for all of us who call in the name of Christ? That was, that was Jesus' prayer. The book of John. That we would be one. That should penetrate. Does that penetrate, church? God gives the growth numerically, spiritually, corporately in our life together and also individually in our private lives. No pastor, no plan, no program. Growth is God's business, and it only comes from him. That's incredibly humbling and freeing at the same time. It sets us free. But when we forget that, here's what tends to happen. We look to leaders or to others who maybe have been given a... a, a role of leadership or teaching or equipping in our lives and instead of God for growth. And we either commend them because we believe they have the answer or we condemn them because we believe that they're the problem. And when that happens, the church fractures. Divisions begin. Jealousy, strife come to the surface. We begin to act in merely a human way. And as that happens, growth is stunted, which is what was happening with the church in Corinth. That's why Paul was coming against this, was showing them, hey, you are one, and it takes all of us together. Don't, don't pedestalize Paulos, Paul. Don't do that. We're all in this together. At the foot of the cross, it's level ground. And I want to take a minute and just pause and show you what it means to be one in Christ together as a church what it means to be fellow workers in the field, what it means to see the fruit of the harvest from working together in the field together. And I hope that you will understand very clearly as you watch this video that each of you, as a part of our church ministries, whether, whether it's out on one of the fields through sports, whether it's in children or students or greet, guests, you know, wherever it, you might be serving and sharing your life and your skills and, and what God has given you to the ministry of the people of our church and our community, that you played a role in, about, in what you're about to watch, that you had a role in this, that you, you might feel completely indifferent or you might feel completely like I had nothing to do with that, that was somebody else. I want you to know that all of us working together as one body in oneness by Christ for Christ have a role in what we get to see in this video. And I hope it encourages you by what God is doing in and through our church together. I hope it stirs you to want to continue in those good works. And I hope you're inspired as you watch this that, that God is entrusting you and I as a church body together with the lives of others that we might share the good news of the gospel with them that their lives might be changed for eternity. Check this video out.
Come on, church. It's why we are in existence. That is the heart of why we gather, why we come. That we see lives transformed. We see moments of declaration of salvation in people's lives. Proclamation through a public baptism like that. And it was an incredible experience. But every single one of us played a part. Every one of us. I want you to be encouraged by that. And I want you to be stirred by that. Let's keep going in our text. Verses 10 and 11. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I, had, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul is shifting from kind of the agricultural metaphor into the builder metaphor, right? And he's, he's pointing, making sure he points us back to where we need to keep our focus. Where is that? Jesus. This is the foundation, which, which is the only foundation that can be laid. He's pointing us to Jesus. Keep our eye on him. We called this series Rooted. And the idea was rooting our lives into the Word of God and the works of God and into Christ. And Paul uses a very similar metaphor, right, about building on a foundation. So as we look at these two verses, Paul's not boasting here about his role, all right? So let's clear that up. He's not boasting because, remember, he just said, what is Paul? This isn't him turning on that. The word actually is a technical term for kind of a project manager, right? Like an architect, a principal leader. Paul's role is to lay the spiritual foundation for the church. That's what God had done with his life and was doing with his life in this moment. Jesus is the only foundation that will work. That's what he says. He says you can't lay any other foundation. Try it. You try to lay another foundation other than Jesus, then your Christian life, which is not founded on, on, on Christ, is going to start to lean. It's going to, it's going to start to have cracks, right, over time. It's going to be off-center. You don't build it on that which lasts. It comes tumbling down. And the only foundation of our faith that is, that is for us to be building upon is Jesus. That's why I said this is about Jesus. Our church is to always be about Jesus. This is step one. This is step one in the Christian life. This is the beginning of the Christian life. And Paul's like, if you get this wrong, whatever, whatever else you might build on top of it will inevitably at some time and point will come tumbling down. The only secure foundation for your life and my life is Jesus Christ. Not ourselves. We are not a secure foundation. Not, not others in your circle. Not, not preachers. Not, not teachers. Not a pastor. Not an ideology. Not a worldview. Nothing but Jesus will hold up. So let me ask you a question. What are you building your life on? What are you building your life on? Is it, is it Jesus some are building their lives on a moral foundation, morality. They have a strong work there, and they strive to treat others as they want to be treated. It's all, it's all on, on morality. I'm not saying those things are bad, but it's not the foundation. Because sometimes in doing that, it produces pride. Pride in our motives, the nobility of our motives, right? Which leads to what? Feeling assured that if there is a God, that he must join ourselves in, in, in uplifting our own character, holding up our own character with the highest esteem, because that's what pride does. Uh, others have built lives on the attempt to win approval, whether it's from someone in their household, mom or dad, or, or someone in their peer group. 
the, the great principle that directs all efforts then is affirmation and the praise of others, which is not a foundation that lasts because you can't, can't please everybody. You learn that? <laughs> we know that, right? If you haven't, be a pastor in a local church. And then there's some who make believe about a world. It's some invention that they've come up with. They just kind of bury themselves into the sand, avoid facing any type of reality or taking any type of responsibility. And, and, the, and the answer to a problem is then to run and hide or to drown it out with different vices or whatever, and they hope it all just kind of goes away. But Paul's telling us here clearly that whatever we're building on, if it's not the foundation of Jesus, cracks will appear. Maybe not immediately, but eventually. Because he's saying only Jesus can take the weight. Because he's what? He's unmoving. He's solid. He's secure. And until we come to a place where we're able to truly say from our heart, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I was going to sing that, but that would be bad. It'd be bad for all of us. Until we come there, we will find our lives leaning, listing cracks. And here's why. You and I were never built to bear the weight of our life. Only Jesus can take that weight. So my question again is, are you resting in him? Because if you're standing on him as the immovable, unshakable, solid rock, then you find rest there. That's where rest, that's the reward of building our lives on Christ. That's the reward for a church who builds their church on Christ. Rest. We find rest there. And this is a group project. Look what Paul said again in verse 10. I laid a foundation someone else is building upon it. Someone plants a seed, someone waters it. Someone proclaims Jesus Christ, lays a foundation, someone builds on top of that with the truth of God's word. This is a group project. This is us as a church. It is to be. Each has a role, like I said. And every role is significant. Every role is significant in the work of the church. Every part of your body is significant in the body, right? Each of us have a place to be used by God. And that is a great privilege, church. That is a great privilege. And so if you're not, not allowing God to work in and through you in the work that God has given us, I invite you to be a part of that. Because it is a great privilege, not only is it a group project, it does what? It produces and provides unity because it's singular in nature. Singular in nature. We don't all build on different foundations and then try to come together, right? We build on the only foundation. Again, it's unmovable. It's unshakable, stabilizing. And then it's unifying because it's Jesus Christ. And when we're, we're all building on that foundation, then we see the work of God just reverberate out in those concentric circles out, like Jesus said in Acts, right? That, that you are to go to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. In those circles, when we're building on the same foundation together, all of us involved, then it just reverberates out. And what better for us to have as a goal or as a trajectory in life than to tell the world about the one who saved us from eternal damnation? That is the Christian call. It's the mission, right? And when we're doing it all together, Paul says that's unifying because it's singular. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. 
He says this. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, this has been Paul's focus. From, from that point on, and if you read any of the other letters that Paul wrote, you would know that that is true of him. But from that point in, in 1 Corinthians here, from that point forward, moving into the next chapters and stuff, that's been the purpose, continued purpose of writing this letter. He doesn't know anything about Jesus apart from his dying work on the cross, his accomplishment of the finished work of salvation. And Jesus Christ and him crucified is the singular foundation that establishes unity for the community which then builds a project of grace and gospel throughout its life. Praise God. That is the work of the church that lasts for eternity. So Paul says to be sure you have the right foundation. It's not, it's not a pastor. It's not a preacher. It's not even a local church. It's Jesus. Make sure you have the right foundation. There's only one that can bear the weight of your life for time and eternity. The foundation is Christ. So are you resting in him? It's humbling, right? It's freeing, though. God, give us the grace to be sure we're resting on the one true foundation. Building in such a way that our labors will last for the glory of God and into and onto the good of those around us now and into the future. This isn't just about right now. It's about what we're doing together and the foundation that we're putting down for the generations to come until Jesus comes back. Maybe be unified in that work because it's blessed to know we're all part of a body, that Christ is inviting each and every one of us into this privileged work of being used for him, by him, to the proclamation of the good news of salvation. I mean, if someone didn't, didn't take on that blessed work in their life, I wouldn't be here. Like, I think that's true of all of our stories, right? May we be reminded of the brevity of life. We had a celebration of life service earlier in the week here. And every time I have the opportunity to be a part of that, it's, God uses it in a, in a really powerful way to remind me of the brevity of life, whether it's 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe you break 100. And that might seem like a long time, but church, it's not. In the, in the backdrop of eternity, that's not a long time. So there's a brevity of life that we need to be reminded of, which produces an urgency of action, right? To live every day in the reality of God's sovereignty and his goodness and his continued work in and through us in sharing Jesus. And may we celebrate that. May we celebrate the amazing grace of God because it truly is amazing. He makes it grow. He brings a transformation. He did then. He will now. And it all began in this amazing grace. It all began when he saved a wretch like me. Let's pray together. Father, God, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that your saving grace comes to us. Daily reminded and humbled of that saving grace personally. I'm sure many are, but God, if there is someone here who hasn't responded to the invitation to know 
that saving grace, who haven't responded to the invitation of Christ, who says, build your life on me, not on you. Stop carrying the guilt and the shame and the weight of sin. Stop carrying that. Come home. In repentance and faith, come home. Believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior who lived, who died, who rose again, who's coming back. God, let your Holy Spirit move into those hearts and those lives who, who haven't found that rest in Christ. Who've been building on the wrong foundation. May they just destroy that and come home and start to build on the right foundation, Jesus. And may they find rest. God, thank you for your amazing grace truly has saved a wretch like me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.